Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. We always appreciate you listening to Bible Crossfire every week at this same time. <clears throat> the name for the program is meant to imply that you have a say in talking about the Bible. It's, uh, also, it's not just a, uh, a program where you just have a sermon preaching, a one-way lesson, and, and that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But this format is so that you can call in and, quote, get into the crossfire. You may have a Bible question, or you may actually disagree with something I say. That's fine. We want to hear from you. Of course, as I always say, the one rule we have is the Bible settles all matters. The Bible is the one that gives the answer to the issues. We're not going to settle it. We're not going to let a commentary settle it. If we have a, a difference of opinion over our religion, we're not going to let a commentary settle it. We're not going to let what we want to be true settle it or what we wish to be true or what will please the most people, or what the majority feels, it's always going to be the Bible. Whatever the Bible says, that's going to settle the issue. I'm pretty sure my listeners would want nothing less than that. They want the Bible to settle all the issues. We don't want anything else settling, telling us what to do in religion other than God's Word, because God is our authority. He's the ultimate authority. We have authorities here on earth. Maybe our boss at work, or the government, you know. Uh, the laws of the land, but God is the ultimate authority. He's even above them. And and that, that makes the Bible our authority by extension because the Bible is where God tells us what he wants us to do to please him. He, he doesn't talk to us directly and say, do this or do this, Pat. He tells everybody the same thing, what they're supposed to do in the Bible. So since that's God's word written by God himself indirectly through the uh, apostles and, new, and prophets, then that's God's word. It's by extension, God's word is our authority because that represents God's will for us. So as the announcer said, if you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call. The number to call is 877-655-6755. There's a parable in Matthew 21 that I thought we would talk about while we're waiting on our first call. Verses 33 through 46. The point of the parable is to show that the Jews are no longer God's chosen people. Now, you wouldn't know that by a lot of the preaching out there. A lot of the preaching from the, quote, fundamentalist, a lot of denominational preaching is that Israel is still God's chosen nation. But the very point of the parable, this is a parable uh, that Jesus told in Matthew 21, the very point of the parable is that Israel would no longer be God's chosen people. That may surprise you. In the story, in the parable, a landowner plants a vineyard, lets it out to farmers, and moves far away. Verse 33. That's in Matthew 21, if you're looking in your Bible. The householder, that's the landowner, represents God, and the farmers represent the Jews. You can see that from verse 45. Now, when harvest time comes, the owner of the vineyard sends servants to collect his share of the fruit. But the farmers beat, kill, and stone these servants. Verse 35. These servants represent the prophets, Luke eleven forty seven, that God sent to the Jews through the centuries and how the Jews mistreated such prophets, Luke 13, 34. Lastly, the landowner sends his son. After they kill the, the servants, the landowner sends his son to collect. But the farmers kill him also. Now, the son obviously represents God's son, Jesus Christ, of course. 
what this all represents is God sending the prophets to Israel, to the Jews, to try to, to try to preach to them, to make corrections. They kill the prophets, and that happened in history. Finally, he sends his son, Jesus Christ, and they kill him too. So Jesus asked his audience in verse 40, When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? In other words, when the landowner comes, what's he going to do to the farmers that he let out the land to, that he rented out the land to? His audience, Jesus' audience, correctly answers. He will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen. Husbandmen is the King James way of saying farmers. Now, Jesus reaffirms this conclusion by saying in verse 43, and I quote, the kingdom of God, now listen, this is, this is the conclusion verse. The kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. Remember, these farmers represent the Jews. And, and, and Jesus is saying the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. Isn't that obvious that Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is going to be taken from the Jews and given to the Gentiles? That's obvious. So precipitated by their longtime disobedience with the final straw being the killing of the Son of God, Matthew 23, 37, 38, the kingdom of God would be taken from the Jews and given to the Gentiles. Now, this doesn't mean Gentiles are children of God by physical birth like the Jews used to be. Instead, it means anybody can become a child of God and heirs of the promise to, to Abraham through faith by being baptized into Christ. That's exactly what Galatians 3, 26 through 29 teaches. Anybody can be an heir to the promise, not just Jews by physical birth. They can do that through faith by being baptized into Christ. And that most of those who end up doing so are going to be Gentiles. Acts 28, 28. So now, and I quote, he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which, circumcision, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Romans 2, 28 and 29. Now, and I quote, one is of the, and here's the quote, Israel of God, not because of physical birth and circumcision, by being a new, but by being a new creature, Galatians six sixteen. Again, what this parable, the whole point of the parable, is to say, Matthew twenty one forty three, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you. In verse forty five, we know he's talking about the Jews, and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof, given to the Gentiles. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call eight seven seven. 655-6755. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment, any Bible topic is game, 877-655-6755. Now, Exodus 19, 5 and 6 said about the Jews, and I quote, you should be a peculiar people, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. Let's remember that. Of course, this was always conditioned upon the Jews' obedience, Exodus 19.5. Their disobedience would let, lead to them being 
quote, plucked from off the land. Deuteronomy 28. Now that the Jews have lost their status, 1 Peter 2, 5 and 9 says this exact same thing about the Christians. Notice the similarity. And I quote, you are a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Here's what, Now, let me repeat some of this. Here's what God said about the Jews in Exodus 19 when he was making them, when he was choosing them as his chosen people. He said, he said you shall be a peculiar people, a kingdom of priests, and holy nation. Now, in 1 Peter 2, after the Jews lose their status, he says the exact same terminology, but this time not about the Jews, but about Christians. He says, you are a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. You see the similarity in wording? The Christians have taken the place of the Jews as being God's chosen people. The Israel, Israel is not God's chosen nation anymore. Christians are. Christians are God's chosen people. And you can be a Christian no matter what nation you're from. Whether you're Jew, Gentile, from China, Native American Indian, black or white, male or female, none of that even matters. Rich or poor, you can be a Christian. And if you're a Christian, now you're part of the kingdom. God's chosen nation, as it were. God's chosen people. It's not the Jews anymore. They're not his, God, his chosen. He always made that conditional, Exodus 19.5. They would be his chosen nation if they obeyed his voice, his law. And they went through the centuries disobeying him, killing prophets. And finally, they broke, they, they broke the final straw when they killed his son. God then, as verse Matthew 21, verse 43 says about the Jews, the kingdom, this is Jesus speaking, He's talking about the Jews. We know that from verse 45 of Matthew 21. He says, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruit Sarah. That is talking about the Jews are not God's chosen people anymore. Instead, Christians are. Christians are God's chosen people now. It doesn't matter if one is Jew or Gentile, Acts 10, 34 and 35. Instead of physical birth being the entrance into the kingdom, oh, you're you're part of the chosen nation just by being born a Jew. No, spiritual birth is now the entrance to the kingdom. John 3, 3 and 5. Won't make any difference what nation you're from, whether you're a Jew or Gentile. Spiritual birth is how you enter this new kingdom. Wayne from South Dakota, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Wayne, you there? Timing of one week old. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, my question is on the timing of when we go to heaven. Jesus said to the criminal on the cross with him, today you will be with me in paradise. But my question is, how can we go straight to heaven before the final judgment? Okay. You know, actually, paradise there refers to the to Hades, do you remember the story, Wayne, of the uh, rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16, 19 through 31? It shows that people that die, they go to Hades. The ones who are faithful to God go to the comfort part of Hades, paradise there, okay? And the ones that are okay. wicked go to the torment part of Hades. This is Luke 16, 19 through 31, Okay. And then they await the judgment day. And, and you know where you're going. Your fate is already sealed because if you go to the comfort part of Hades, Abraham's bosom, 
paradise, uh, then, then you're going to end up going to heaven. And if you go to the torment part of Hades, then you're going to go to H-E-L-L, the bad place. Now, we know that because you said, Jesus said to the thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. In Acts chapter 2, it says, um, in verse 27, talking about Jesus, it says, because thou wilt not leave my soul in Hades, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. It's, it's beginning to talk about his resurrection, and it says, it's teaching that Jesus went to Hades after he died. So obviously, if Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise, and Jesus went to Hades, according to Acts 2.27, then paradise in Luke 23, then, is a reference to the comfort part of Hades, the place that we go while we await the judgment day. And you're right, it's different than heaven and the bad place. But but you know your fate is sealed, and you're either going to be in paradise, comfort, or torment, just like later. Got any follow-up with that, Wayne? No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For, does that Did that answer make sense to you? Do you understand how I'm answering your question? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yes, it does. I, I'll need to look at that for myself in the Bible to, to see okay. that for myself, too. Thanks for yeah. giving me those verses. Yeah, that's, it. that's exactly what you should do. Never take anybody's word for it. Don't take my word for it. Look up those passages, and I'm pretty much agreeing with you and just trying to use the Bible to prove that your statement was correct. Thank you for your call, Wayne. Simon from New York, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hey, how you doing, boss? Um, I never even listen to the station to be honest with you i put it on my little series xm dashboard saying i'm gonna listen to it to kind of uh you know pass the time with something wholesome rather than listening to fucking oh sorry for my language rap music all the time and just listen to crazy stuff but um i had a quick comment to follow up on what you essentially said about um the jews not being the chosen people and kind of the kingdom of christianity expanding to the whole world and whether you're chi- whether you're a chinaman you're, you're hispanic you're black, you're white, you're whatever, you're able to be a Christian. I'd like to know your feelings out of curiosity. I don't know if you've ever heard this theory from people, that um, a lot of African Americans in America are starting to bring this up, that they believe they are God's true chosen people. And I heard a pastor actually bring this up recently in the news, that the African Americans that went through slavery are God's true chosen people. That in itself, to myself, the same way that a lot of Jews think they're the chosen ones, is kind of like a not-inclusive comment because it makes people think that only one sector of people could be God's true chosen people, when in reality the way people should think of this is more so like the way you're saying it, that Christianity and the kingdom of being Christian and the kingdom of Christ expands to whoever the hell you are and, and whatever, whatever creed you come from, so to speak. And I just kind of want to dialogue on that. I thought that was an interesting point you made. So, Simon, the same passages I used to prove that the Jews are not God's chosen people in particular because of how they're born would prove the same thing about blacks or whites or anybody else. You're not a child of God anymore by birth, physical birth. Now, I referenced a while ago Galatians 3, 26 through 29. Let me read that, Simon. It says, For you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been, have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if he be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So that passage, Simon, is making it clear that it doesn't make any difference what race you are, 
whether you're a master or a slave, male or female, it used to make a difference. If you were born a Jew, you were a child of God. And if you were born a Gentile, you weren't. But now he's saying, no, now you're a child of God by faith, not by birth. And if you've been baptized into Christ, you put on Christ. And if you put on Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, Abraham's promise. So now some whites maybe that were very prejudiced, if you go back 200 years ago, might have taught Simon that blacks could not be Christians. And that's, that was totally false too. It doesn't matter what race you are to God. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're from China or Native American Indian. You're a, you're a child of God by faith if you've been baptized into Christ. And then, according to that, you're heirs according to the promises made to Abraham. You follow me, Simon? I, I love that, man. I, I like the way you put that. That was What was that passage one more time? Sorry, Galatians what? Galatians 3, 26 through 29. Simon, I appreciate your call, and we'll go to somebody else right now. Galatians 3, 26 through 29. Bo from Texas, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hello, thank you for taking my call. I know that there's a passage that said God owns the cattle on a thousand mountains, and I've always thought that it was figurative of saying he owns all the cattle in the world. And then how does that correlate to the millennial period where Jesus will reign for a thousand years? Is one statement figurative and one literal, or how, how do they correlate together? You know, Bo, that's a great question. The cattle on a thousand hills doesn't mean exactly a thousand. I mean, there's probably a million hills on the earth. And, and when he says a cattle on a thousand hills belongs to Christ, he means the cattle on all the hills. And so your point is well taken. In Revelation 20, when it says Christ will reign for a thousand years, it's not talking about a literal 1,000 years any more than... It was literal a thousand. The cattle of a thousand hills belongs to, to God. It's a thousand here in the Bible many times just represents a long, long number. Jesus is going to reign for a long time. And as a matter of fact, if you look at Acts chapter 2, Jesus began his reign when he was resurrected from the dead and then ascended up to glory to sit on the right hand of God. That's when the kingdom started, uh, Mark 9 chapter 1. He he, he began his reign then. He's been reigning now for almost 2,000 years. It's a spiritual kingdom. Does that make sense, Bo? Yes, it does. I really appreciate your help. I think you had that in mind. We, we see yes, from many, we see from many passages that the kingdom started. It's not something to start in the future, future of now. In Mark 9 1, which I just referenced, here's how that reads. Jesus is speaking. He says, Verily I say unto you that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. So when Jesus was preaching there in Mark 9, let's just say he was preaching to 100 people. We don't know how many, but he's saying some of the people standing there would still be alive when the kingdom of God came with power. So the kingdom came while some of them were still alive. Now, either they're 2,000 years old or the kingdom came in the first century time frame. In Acts chapter 2, Verses 30, 31, 33 shows that the kingdom came when Jesus was resurrected, ascended up to heaven, sat on the right hand of God. He began his reign, and he's still reigning today. Kay from New Jersey, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hey, how you doing, sir? I got two questions real quick, if you don't mind. Don't mind. That's what okay, this program is uh, all about. Questions. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So my first question is, oh, um, sir, when it comes to Christ and his relationship to God the Father, um, 
is he is he the son of God? Um, um, based on our on our understanding in terms of our um, limited understanding, or is he actually God? Well, he's both. First of all, Acts eight thirty seven. The unit confessed, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Okay, so he is the Son of God. But there are a lot of passages that also teach that he's God, but not God the Father, but God the Son, as we say. I'm going to turn to one that I think makes it pretty clear. You may be familiar with it. Okay, John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, we know the Word here. It's talking about Jesus Christ because verse 14 says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So the word in verse one is talking about Jesus Christ. So it's saying Jesus was with God, God the Father, that is, and Jesus was God, meaning deity. Now, let me explain, yes. okay? I'm yes, a human. So Jesus is I'm not a, a created being, right? That's right. He's not. Now, let me explain. I'm a human, so it stands to reason that if I have a son, he's also going to be human, right? He's not going to be a fish. Or a monkey, right? Yep, yep. So if God has a son, then it stands to reason that his son will also be God, deity. Not So Jesus is also deity because he's the son of God. But he's not God the Father himself. He's the son of God. You see that? Just like my son is not me, he's the son of Pat. Pat's human, therefore my son's going to be human. The son okay. of God would be also God. So Jesus is deity. John 1, 1 makes that clear. It said he was with God, God the Father, and he was God. He was deity. But he's also the, okay. and he's also the son of God. There's no contradiction. Go ahead, Kay. Hey, Pat, but how do you reconcile the idea that Christ is not a created being, though? So how is he the son of God not being a created being? Well, because he's deity. He's never been created. He was there in the very beginning with God the Father. As a matter of fact, Genesis 1, 26, Kay says... And God said, this is when he's making man, let us make man in our image. Have you ever noticed that us there is plural yes. and our yes, is plural? Yes, I understand that. Yep, I understand so that So God and Jesus, God and Jesus were there creating the worlds. So, but, so, so as we were in John 1, 1, you're exactly right. Jesus is not a created being. He is the creator, him and the father. Created it together. I read John 1, 1, verse verse 3 says, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus created everything. God the Father. Go ahead, Kay. That's understood totally. I'm sorry, Pat. That's understood totally. I know you don't have have much time to spend with me, so I just want to get it really, really concise with you. My question to you is, Jesus not being a created being, right? So God is saying that for our finite minds the best we can understand their relationship is as son and father but actually jesus is not a created being he always was right so it's more like jesus's submission to god which makes him a, a son but in actuality he's not a created being am i correct right yeah yeah when he says jesus is the son of god we don't mean he's a created being we mean he's in submission to god that's right. Okay. Remember, First Corinthians eleven verse three says, "The head of man, woman is man. The head of man is Christ. The head of Christ 
is God. So yeah, he's the son of God in that he's in submission to God, not that he's a created being. Right, Kay, I agree with you. Okay, last question real quick, and I'm going to let you go. Please, I'm sorry. I appreciate the time, man. Um, you better go um, ahead quick. I only got about 30 seconds. Paul, when he talked about that thorn in the sign um, in, in his side, could that thorn in his side um, actually been some sin that he was carrying? Hey, Kay, I'll try to answer that. I got to let you go right now. I got to go. We don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. The Bible never tells us. We don't know. It could be a number of things. If you would like to have a free one-hour phone Bible study with me, sometime at your convenience, I will study with you free of charge via the phone at your convenience. Call or text me at 256-682-9753. The number to call or text me if you want the free one-hour phone Bible study is 256-682-9753.